We're turning to Galatians 4, verse 8 to verse 20. And let's again hear God's holy word. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject. But you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, not not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again, until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. The grass, it withers, the flowers, they fade, but God's word alone endures forever, and he will bring his blessing to us in the spirit. Galatians is a letter that Paul wrote to deal with the incursion of false teachers and the incursion of false gospels that they brought, which preeminently was teaching over and against the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as alone of the atonement and righteousness that we needed in order to be saved. They came and taught something that we regard more commonly in our day, legalism. That idea that we can somehow, through our own efforts and through our own moral uprightness and through our own deeds and through our own acts and works, we can somehow attain a salvation we can somehow be accepted and received by God. And Paul has been writing this letter and bringing forth argument after argument after argument as to why those things are false, why you should not be listening to them. Next week, we're going to cover his final argument that he presents in respect of uh, verses 21 down to 31. But, but he has... He has been doing this so that it would be hammered home into our hearts. Dear people, you cannot be saved by your own efforts. Dear people, you cannot be justified before God in your own goodness. You fall short of his glory. And it is only through Jesus Christ that we can be saved from our sins and our sinfulness It is only through Jesus Christ we escape the penalty of death. And it is only by faith in Jesus Christ that we receive that act uh, and declaration of our God. You are justified. 
You are pardoned your sins. You are accepted by God. No longer a sinner, but as righteous. And, and so we began this section last week. And last week I only got through point one. Now this morning we're going to finish off with the last part of this. The other two points here. But again, Paul is setting us up. He's talking about adoption. How, my dear friends, how do you know that you are a child of the living God? You have to consider that question. Because when we call ourselves Christians, we're not just simply saying we've taken on a persona of a religion and walking by some tenets without regard of who we are before the holy God of heaven. God in saving us, God in delivering us from his judgment and our sins from death itself has changed us, has changed our standings. We are children of the living God if we are in Christ. And the question becomes again, how do you know you're a child of God? You may wish to be, you may think you are, but there really, again, is only one way. And that through faith in Jesus Christ. Apart from that saving grace of God... We are still in our sins. We are still under judgment. We are still counted as sinners before a holy God. And Paul, he's already written about how terrible, how wretched it is for us to look to anything else or anyone else to be delivered from our sins and to receive the graces of God, justification and adoption. And that's why he holds forth such a hatred for what we call legalism. Now, I, I will say that many people today, even Christians, have a wrong understanding of legalism. I have often been challenged by Christians because I believe that this is the Lord's day. And it's not because I believe it. Scripture teaches it. <laughs> today is the Lord's day. It is God's holy day. It is that one day in seven. God has said it is his own. And we are to gather for worship. And I've had people say, well, that's legalistic. Because you're following God's law. And you're thinking that this day is more special than other days. Or it's legalistic because you go in the morning and in the evening to worship God. And again, scripture says, bring me your morning sacrifice. Bring me your evening sacrifice. What are those sacrifices? Psalm 100, the sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of thanksgiving, worship. And yet Christians will, even Christians alone will say, well, that's legalistic if you think you have to do those things. It's not legalistic to obey God. What legalism is, is that attempt of the heart through our obedience or through our moral perspectives or through our acts. It's that thinking that we can somehow gain God's love and favor or that salvation of God through our own personal merit. I have done this so God has to love me. That's legalism. I have done this, so God should save me. I'm not a terribly bad person, so there's no reason why God shouldn't welcome me into heaven. That's legalism. It isn't obedience. 
That's legalism. It's faithlessness. It's that attempt, that self-righteous attempt to gain from God his love and his favor through our own efforts. It can't be done because we are sinners. We need the holiness of Christ. We need the righteousness of another covering us. We need a redemption that can atone for all our sins. And that's only, only gained and and distributed and applied by God through his son. And the only way we can receive it is by believing. We raise our hands to God, if you will, and say, Lord, I believe you are my savior. That's alone the way in which we are saved and justified and accepted by God. And it's glorious because there is also another form of legalism that I'm going to mention, but I want to say the positive side first. That's glorious because once we are in Christ, what can separate you from that? Nothing. You don't stop sinning when you become a Christian. We all realize that, right, dear dear Christians? But isn't it amazing that all those sins that we haven't yet committed are already paid for and, and God's judgment against them is already taken away. They won't separate us from God's love. I don't know about you, but I thank God for that almost every day. That I can walk with my God because who is sustaining us? It's Christ. And that brings us to this other form of legalism that is often within the church and that is that legalism that attempts to make our continuance in God's favor, our continuance in his saving mercies dependent upon our faithfulness. But it's like that same argument. How much good must you do in order for God to accept and receive you into heaven? And the answer is Perfect holiness, perfect righteousness. I will never be that person in this life. I can't gain it. Well, for the Christian then, how much faithfulness do you need to exercise in order to keep that relationship with God? It's the same dilemma, isn't it? That's why you have some people say, I'm saved today. Oh, I'm not saved. We call it uh, the flower of Arminianism. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. And, and that kind of Christianity, have you ever seen it? Is that one day the person's full of life with God, the next day, I don't think I'm a Christian because I sinned. That's legalism. That's saying that it's my hold of God that keeps me safe. Not the hands of God that are holding me and keeping me in his grace. Do you see the difference? Maybe subtle, but that's the difference. And Paul is saying here, get it. That legalism doesn't become a rut into which you fall. Because it will diminish your faith. That's what we heard last week. When legalism begins to lay hold of a person's life. Faith becomes vain. That's what Paul was dealing with in verses 8 to 11. He says, I'm afraid for you. 
Your faith is empty. If you think that you're going to gain God's favor by who you are as a person, wow, how empty your faith in Christ is. What life of faith is that then? It isn't. Because you revert it from a dependency on the Lord Jesus to a dependency on yourself. Well, there's two other considerations. And one is in verses 12 to 16, how legalism makes truth an enemy. Legalism makes truth an enemy because presumption sets in. And with that presumption, that means you just assume, well, I'm okay with God I don't have to worry about sin anymore. When somebody comes and says, you need to repent of your sins yet as a Christian, they say, whoa, 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 I'm already saved. You don't have to worry about it. That kind of presumption. I've met Christians like that. Perhaps you have too. But I think it's a subtlety that, again, makes an incursion into all of our Christian lives. You think about last week, dear Christians. How many times did you get on your knees before God and say, Father, forgive me for this sin, for how I hurt this person, for what I did at work or at school, for my lack of devotion to you? How many times did you get on your knees to repent before God? And I say that because we know as Christians, do we not? We sin in thought, word, and deed daily. (laughs) But our our repentance, if we're honest with ourselves, our repentance doesn't match our understanding of that, does it? And and the subtleties that come in with that, as Paul is saying even here to, to the Galatian churches, Verse 16, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And it's at those times, even in dealing with Christians, when the truth of God's word is expressed and the walls go up and they say, who are you to judge? Instead of hearing the word of truth, I should repent. That's the impact of legalism. Galatia, when Paul went there, they were so responsive to the gospel at first. You just have to read Acts 13 and 14. And wow, he was setting up a church everywhere he went. Great church planting. Yeah. Yeah, Today it takes us over seven years to get going. (laughs) It's a different climate. But they loved Paul for the ministry that he brought at great sacrifice to himself. They embraced him, as he says here in verse 13, they embraced him as if he were an angel, as if he were even Christ himself, despite his appearance. He lived in a time where people who were deformed or who had some very physical infirmity were were regarded as sort of over here, a class to themselves, almost in the way of lepers, that, okay, God's judge them obviously they've done something bad and that's why they're like this so we'll keep them over there but they didn't they welcomed him Paul was so loved he says you would have plucked out your eyes for me because they had brought the blessing of the gospel to him 
to them, I mean. But it's as we often say to married couples, when that first argument hits, the honeymoon is over. It's a hard thing. And, and Paul has been rebuking them with fairly strong language, not because he hates them, but because he's concerned for their souls. He's concerned for their standing with God. Are you trusting in Christ? And even with their actions, this rebuke is, is not because they hurt Paul's feeling, but because they were treating him, verse 16, as an enemy. Because I tell you the truth. In fact, they were treating the truth as an enemy. My friends, I know it is never easy to be rebuked when you are in sin. Even if it is neglectful things. Even on those pastoral visits when something is brought up and it's dealt with in a very private way. It's never easy to be shown our sins. That's what truth does. And what is truth? Pilate asked that question. Jesus answered it two chapters before Pilate asked it. In John 17, verse 17, what did he say? Sanctify them, sanctify us. That is, teach us God how to more and more die to sin and live to righteousness. Teach us, God, how more and more we can reflect the glory of Christ in our lives. That's what sanctification means. It means to be putting off more and more sin and to be putting on more and more righteousness by the grace of God. It means to be shown sin and to grieve and hate it, repent of it, and to do what's right. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. And the the reason the word of God is so important is what Jesus said in John 8 as well. And he was talking to the very people that were infecting these Galatian churches with legalism. He was talking to Abraham's descendants and he was telling them, do you realize that you are sinners and you need to be set free? What is going to set you free? The truth. The truth will set you free. And if the truth sets you free, you are free indeed. In other words, he is saying... I have come to release you from the bondage of sin, from that compelling heart that keeps wanting to sin, from the penalty of your sin, which is death. I have come to release you from all of that bondage so that you can walk in life. And it is my truth that will set you free. When we are trying to earn God's love, when we are trying to merit God's favor in our lives, truth becomes an enemy. We don't like someone telling us, you're doing wrong. You're doing wrong. And they now despise the word that Paul had spoken. And what had changed? Had Paul's word changed? No. Did God's word change? No. What changed? The church's perspective of what is sin and what isn't sin. The church's perspective on truth. Look today at the church. How many churches are becoming what is known in our culture, affirming churches? 
as though we are being more loving and caring by saying to people, you can just live and walk in your sins. It's all right. God loves you anyways. Friends, that's a lie of the devil. Now, we're not called to hate people. Hate, I've, I've said it before, no one has ever been hated into the kingdom of God. We can't hate. But one of the most loving and gracious things we can do is to point people to the truth of God's word, to say to them, this is the truth that you need to embrace, the truth of God that will deliver you from the bondage of sin that you are under. I had this discussion this past week with, with another Christian about this very thing. But the problem that we have today isn't that we aren't accepting people who are different. The problem we have today as a church is that we are accepting sin. And telling these people that while they want us to accept them for who they want to be, not for who they are. The problem isn't that we aren't affirming and accepting. The problem is they don't want to accept themselves for who God has made them. That's the problem. God made you a man. God made you a woman. You don't want to be one. You want to be something else. Well, here's the truth. God, in his grace, comes with the truth. This is who you are. This is who I have made you. Rejoice in my creative work and see that I have created you for my glory to love and to serve me in righteousness. Walk in these ways and I will be your deliverer and your shield. But that truth is not welcomed much, is it? Because legalism makes truth an enemy. And legalism makes people want to keep hold of and to walk in their sins. I know that's a big problem here, but it's in the church, isn't it? Now, and we can bring that into so many other areas. Like even, and, and you hear me saying this, but the Lord's Day. This isn't a day for you to do what you please. God hallowed this day for you. God said, this is my day for being with you and you being with me and for me to lift you up and strengthen you for this coming week. Come and worship me. I will inhabit your praises and you will be with God for this whole day. That's not legalism. That's God's grace meeting us, isn't it? How many churches today are open for but an hour on a Sunday? That's it. We've lost my friends, put away that idea that God loves you just the way you are. God has loved you in spite of who you are. And in God's love, he's changing you. And this brings us into the next point. He's changing you into who you are to be in Christ. That's the truth. And that's the truth we need to lay hold of. Faith becomes vain or meaningless Truth becomes an enemy. And third, as we see in verses 17 to 20, zeal becomes misdirected. <laughs> Where is the zeal of legalism focused? It's on me. What I like, what I believe, what I lay hold of, what I want to do, what I feel is good. I often deal with people in respect of what is good 
and not so good worship. And you'll often hear Christians come in and say, well, I really felt the spirit there today. And, and so that was good worship. But the same service impacts someone different. And they say, you know, I didn't sense the spirit at all in there. I don't think I'm going back there. What are you zealous for? And, and you know, the thing with legalism is we're most often zealous for ourselves. What we like and enjoy, what is pleasing to us, not what is necessarily pleasing to God or commanded in his word, but how I feel about things. What a dangerous way to walk as a Christian. Where is the zeal of mainline Christianity? Is it in the gospel? Is it for the kingdom of God? Paul does say here, zeal is good. Verse 18 It is good to be zealous in good things. (laughs) But when it becomes self-affirmation, being like the world, cultural relevance, we're misdirected. We lost it. What is Paul zealous for here? Paul, verse 19 says, I have labored for you because I want to see Christ formed in you. That's the zeal. Of the gospel. I'm speaking more about pastoral things because Paul's speaking here as a pastor and how he has been interacting with people and how they've been interacting with him and, and uh, how it's really complicated the ministry of the gospel. But I, I can say this you know, as a pastor, we often uh, experience behavioral modification when people find out you're a minister. And suddenly their, their language cleans up a little bit or uh, they start saying, oh, I'm sorry I said that. Yeah. Um, I, I had that often, but vocabulary changes. Hey, you're a minister. Oh, you know, I'm really a spiritual person. I get that a lot. And I always say, what do you mean? You go to church? Oh, no, I don't need to go to church. I'm spiritual and I have my own walk with God. No, you don't. <laughs> That's a lie. That, that's just fanciful thinking. You, you're only spiritual now because I'm before you. And I've reminded you of God. But it dissipates very quickly. Because your zeal isn't there. Your zeal is on yourself. Think about this. How long have you been a Christian? Some of you might say, all my life. That's great. I, I know that that's the case within covenant homes. Some of you might say, well, about a year, maybe a year and a half, had my ups and downs. Every Christian has their ups and downs. How long have you been a Christian? Do you see Christ more in your life today than you did a year ago, two years ago, ten years ago? What are you zealous for? We can be zealous for a lot of activities, We can be zealous for sitting around and meeting friends on a Friday night or a Saturday night and then Sunday morning. Ah, church, I don't think I can make it. We can be zealous for doing a lot of good things. Well, I can't go to church today because I promised I'd go over and do this thing for someone else. Is Christ being formed in you? When we are not zealous for Christ being formed in us, our zeal is going somewhere. We're not stagnant people. 
We're either sitting up till 3 a.m. in the morning playing our video games or doing online activity and then too exhausted and tired to be able to come and worship and seek God and to have Christ formed in us. Or we are saying, oh, it's 11 o'clock, bedtime, great, we've got an extra hour to sleep and rest and be revitalized so that I can come to church and in, in that strength. Worship God and see Christ formed in me. Do you see the difference? And that's just a, a minor thing in life that I'm pointing at. You see what legalism does? Because legalism isn't just us outwardly thinking, I'm doing this to earn God's favor. Legalism also comes in when we think, I don't need Jesus. That's the basic thing of legalism. I can do it on my own. With my own likes, my own feelings, my own, etc., etc. Fill it in. Dear Christian, I'll speak to you first. Every step of your day, you need Jesus. There isn't a moment in your life where God isn't at work and desiring to see his son formed in you. There's many times when our zeal isn't there, isn't it? I read this story this past week. It's a story of an old military commander. They use swords for battle, so it probably goes all the way back to, uh, you know, pre-1500s anyways. But he was going into this town to recruit. And he gathered all the young men before him, and he said, I want to know what your specialties and your strengths are, what it is that you are very proficient at. And he had a number that came and with their strength uh, because of work and labor. Uh, they performed. Some were uh, good swordsmen and they, from an early age, were practicing with their swords. And some uh, were great runners and uh, some had a lot of stamina and all of this stuff. And he had this one guy come. And he said, I can flip a pea into a bucket 20 feet away. And he went to show the commander how he could do it. And everyone went in, went in, went in. And the commander looked at him and said, okay, somebody give him a bucket of peas and send him home. What's the point? You mean this is what you focused your attention on in your life? Flicking peas? How does that benefit our country? That was his point. Where is your zeal? Is it rooted in the gospel? Or is it rooted in yourself? Does it show faith in Christ? Or does it show someone who is unconcerned about who they are as a believer? Is it love for Christ's church? Or what the world around is offering. Is Christ formed in you or are you content with sin? And to the unbelievers who may be here this morning who have never professed faith in Christ, the same thing is, is there a zeal for your soul? Where are you going to be when you die? Do you know if you, when you are standing before God, and you will, we all will stand before God and we will be judged by our lives and what we have done in the flesh, but we are going to be judged by God. 
You will know as soon as you die where you will be spending eternity. Are you zealous for your soul? Do you not understand that God has said so clearly in his word, and it has been spoken so clearly even this morning, that there is only one way for you to escape the penalty, the just penalty due for your sins, and that is by faith in Christ and recognizing when you believe in Christ, what you are believing in is, he has died in my place. He has borne my sin in his death and paid the penalty for my sin. He took away that eternal death judgment that was on my plate. And he has brought me into that saving relationship with God the Father. Are you zealous for your soul? Or are you content living as a sinner without Christ? without God and without hope. God's offer of salvation is so free. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. Anyone who cries out to God, save me, God has said, that's what I'm here for. Sometimes, you know, as they say, sometimes what's free is free for a reason. And we use that more as a criticism But what God offers freely in Christ is free for a reason. We can't buy it. (laughs) We can't gain it on our own. If God did not offer Christ freely to you, you would be dead in your sins without hope. This is the glory and the grace of our God who wants to save all his people from all their sins. Believe on the Lord, and you will be saved. Let us pray.